0: I'm Dave Monaco, the Almeier Family Head of School at Parish Episcopal School. Welcome to the From My Angle podcast. I hope you enjoyed our most recent episode with Parish's Director of Parish Arts, Hutch Hutcherson, the first of a couple of episodes upcoming in which we will look at how we come together to create. This episode, however, diverts from our course somewhat, and for good reason. And after all, it's not every day that one has the opportunity to speak with the mayor of one city. But Amari and I were fortunate enough that the Honorable Mayor of Dallas, Eric Johnson, has agreed to join us to talk about leadership and the challenge of keeping constituents together during times of crises like we have experienced with the pandemic. Mr. Johnson was elected as Dallas's 60th mayor in June 2019. A Dallas native, Mayor Johnson was raised in West Dallas in Oak Cliff, and we will not hold it against him that he is a graduate of our neighboring independent school, our friends over at Greenhill. After graduating from Green Hill, Mayor Johnson earned his undergraduate degree from Harvard, a graduate degree from Princeton, and a law degree from the University of Pennsylvania Law School. Indeed, a lawyer by training, Mr. Johnson, though, has committed his time and energies to public service for over a decade, serving as a member of the Texas House of Representatives from 2010 to 2019. The mayor is an extended member of the Parrish family. Perhaps it is why we were able to get him to agree to join us On this episode, his nephew Isaiah is a freshman new to parish this year. So Omari and I invited Isaiah to join us for this conversation about how one leads and unifies when the going gets tough. Enjoy this from our angle conversation with me, Omari, Isaiah, and the Honorable Mayor Eric Johnson. Welcome back to the podcast, a special edition of the From Our Angle podcast. Amara and I are so excited. We, in fact, were stoked about this episode way back in the summer when we were looking at the possible um, episodes he and I would do together around this theme of together. And so we wanted to bring someone on who could talk about the evident challenges of leading during this incredibly unique, extraordinary, and difficult time of the pandemic, issues of social discord uh, all around us, and so we were thrilled and honored that the Honorable Mayor of Dallas, Eric Johnson, was willing to spend just a few minutes of time with us this morning. You all are probably familiar with Mayor Johnson elected uh, as the 60th Mayor of Dallas in 2019, but a decade of uh, service to the community preceding that uh, as he spent in the Texas House of Representatives. We'll get into that a little bit today. Omari and I are also really excited to have a freshman with us uh, from Parish, Isaiah Johnson. And if you recognize the shared last name, you may also have some intuition as to how we secure the mayor, too, because they're both last named Johnson. Isaiah is the nephew of Mayor Johnson. So, Isaiah, we're so excited to have you on the podcast today. Omari, partner, this is a treat to have the mayor with us today, no?
1: Oh, man, is it a treat? Uh. I honestly, when uh, Mr. Monaco first pitched it to me, uh, he was like, hey, Mario, you know Isaiah's uncle is the mayor. I was like, okay, what are you saying? He was like, I think he would be an awesome guest. I was like, all right, Mr. Man, kind of, kind of shooting up there now. I don't think we've even had, <laughs> I, I, I think we've only had locals, like <laughs> only in the parish community. But uh, during the season on the bus, actually, I uh, one away game. I had asked Isaiah quickly. I was like, hey Isaiah, uh, do you think that your uncle would be open to joining our podcast and you as well? And he was like, Yeah, yeah, bro, no problem. Just give him a heads up because he's a very busy man, as you all know. And I was like, Bet, say less. So I'm very thankful uh, and honored to have both of you all on here, uh, Mayor Johnson and Isaiah as well. Thank you all. So, just...
2: Before all right, you go, yeah. Uh, Mr. Monaco, before you go any further, let me jump in and say something. Um, I remember those team bus rides when I was uh, playing football in high school across the way over at Green Hill. And I can say, I don't remember the conversations being that sophisticated on all the press that you guys were spending your time before the big game talking about who you were going to have on your podcast and doing interviews. <laughs> I think our conversation was were a lot less uh, – i us fiscal. leave it at that. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think they probably tomorrow.
0: have some. They probably have some of those types of conversations too. But I'm sure glad they were getting this episode together. So, Amari, hey, listen, I would start. say we're very, we're
1: well equipped. Okay. We're well. <laughs> yeah.
0: We're broad we're range.
1: So get us started, partner. Let's talk leadership here with the mayor today. Some um, A. Johnson. Uh, as I once said uh, before, thank you for joining us today. So, uh, <laughs> could you tell us about uh, your early experience as a leader and do you have uh, any Im- important mentors uh, or leadership roles that helped you understand the um, effective nature
2: of uh, what a leader truly is? So I appreciate the question of that. I think um, we don't talk enough about, I think, uh, leadership itself. I mean, you know, the importance of leadership, you know, what, what it means, um, I think it's misunderstood what leadership is. And it's so important. So I, I appreciate you asking a question about leadership. Uh, I, I'd say, you know, my, my earliest experiences with leadership and where I started to learn um, what it meant to exercise leadership actually is related to the, the team bus story that we were just talking about. I think my earliest experiences with athletics mm-hmm is where I started to learn about leadership. So let's talk about that a little bit. You know, besides the fun and, and, you know, sports for people who play, uh, most of us play the sports we play because we actually enjoy them. You know, we we, we love the game that we play. You know, it's fun when we're doing it. But, you know, there's a lot of work that goes uh, into becoming good at at your sport. Um, You know, a lot of practice, a lot of, you know, there's a lot of, you know, film watching. We used to watch film. I guess you guys watch – you know, DVD, not, not even DVDs anymore. You watch digital recordings and all that. So we watch yeah, yeah. actual VHS cassettes of our games and all that. You don't know what a VHS cassette is, probably. But yeah, the point is, is uh, there's a lot of work that goes uh, into sports uh, in addition to just the actual playing of the game that you enjoy so much. But what I learned playing sports, starting at the earliest ages, is something that I think is so critical to leadership and it will be true of any leadership role that you take on for the rest of your life. What sports teaches you, whether you realize it or not right now, Amari and Isaiah, is these games that you're playing and the, the positions that you play on your team, what you're learning is roles. You're learning responsibilities. You're learning that everybody's got a different job to do. It's not all the same job, but they're all critically important. So let's take the sport that I love the most and still love the most, which is football, right? Everybody on that offense has a different job on every play. You're not all doing the same thing. And the play is designed to result in a a touchdown if everyone does – they're supposed to do like the plays are not designed to to end in anything less than ultimate success but the plays don't always result in a touchdown and if you break down every one if you look at it if you look at the recording I'll call it a recording not tape you'll be able to see on every play where someone didn't do what they were supposed to do where some block didn't get made or some cut or you know move was not what was wrong by the running back or the quarterback made the wrong read so what sports teaches you early on is that you have a responsibility and your teammates, your, you, the people who you're in this organization with are counting on you to do it. And what will determine how successful you are and whether not you rise to the top of your organization is whether or not people consistently can see in you someone who A, always gets their job done and B demands that everyone around them gets their job done and how well you are at how good you are in motivating those around you to do their best. So I learned as a young athlete to to get my job done, like to make sure I was someone that my teammates could count on. Now I was a fullback my whole career. My tailback did not succeed if I didn't get my blocks. So I learned how to take care of my business, but I also learned what everyone else's job was supposed to be, what we're supposed to be doing and how to motivate my teammates. Sometimes you got a teammate that's down and needs to be encouraged and you need to be able to encourage them and to get them to do their best. It's not just the person whose name or title suggests they should be the leader. Leadership is actually a, a, an exercise, it's an active thing. So, you know, the center can be the leader. The tight end can be a leader. The wide receiver can be a leader. The running back can be a leader. It's not just the quarterback. It's anyone who's able to get the people on that team to gravitate around them. And I think if you talk to anyone I played football with, they will tell you, we could count on EJ, they called me EJ, to get it done. And he didn't tolerate anybody around him who wasn't going to try their best. But, but how you do that is very important. So I think my earliest lessons in leadership came from sports.
0: Hey, Omari, that sounds like our podcast episodes in March when we were talking about how uh, play and sports bring us together and really some of the great lessons that are learned from sports. We appreciate the mayor's answer there. Isaiah, kick in with your question here.
1: All right. Well, to back off off what you just said, our next question is, do you think people are born with the characteristics to be a leader or can anyone become a
2: leader through practice? I don't know where these questions are coming from, but they're – Excellent questions, because that question is at the heart of the literature that does exist out there about leadership, you know, in a lot of business, um, you know, organizations and, you know, business school textbooks, and there's a lot of books that have been written about leadership. And that's one of the central questions that people have been wrestling with for a long time. Are leaders born or can they be made? I will tell you that I think the answer, not surprisingly from someone who's in politics is both, a little bit of both. And I'll tell you what I mean by that. I think like anything else in life, um, people are, we're all born with different levels of natural ability or natural talent or or what have you. You know? so, some folks are, are just, like, I don't think with, with any amount of training, I would have been able to be faster than Usain Bolt, right? I don't think there's any amount of training I could have undergone to have been faster than that guy. He, he was born with some natural gifts. I think everyone's born with different natural gifts, but we're all born with some, with some gifts. Leadership can be one of those gifts that I think people can be born with. Uh, a stronger personality, maybe just a certain, some folks just have a way about them that when they talk, people listen. Some people have a way about them where they just, they can command a room. You know, it's just, it's more of a natural thing. They never went to any classes, they were never taught it, no seminars, no, no, nothing. It's just, it's who they are, Um, the way they walk, the way they talk, the way they carry themselves, uh, the way their brain works, all those things can be natural. However, like a lot of things, how much you develop that talent is a function of your environment and whether or not you are fortunate enough to be in an environment where someone identifies that you have those gifts and helps develop them. And for folks who don't have those natural talents, I do think you can actually, you can learn them. You might not, you might not be a natural, but they are skills that can be, that can be taught. And so in essence, Isaiah, I think what, I, what the, the actual truth of the matter is, is this, in life, no matter what skill we're talking about, including leadership, the most important thing to learn at a young age is actually work ethic, hard work. And the reason I say that is because this is not just, you know, because I'm an adult and you're a kid, I want to tell you, you know, hey, just work hard. No, there's a reason for it, actually. It's actually for in your best interest to listen really carefully to this. You'll never know how many people out there in the world had a natural gift for something. But because they never developed it, they never practiced it, they never tried it, or they never worked hard at it, it was never developed. We'll, we'll never hear about those people. Like for, for, for every activity you can think of where you think you know who the best person to ever do it was, I'm going to tell you something that, that might sound crazy, but if you think about it, it makes sense. We think about all the people who live on planet Earth and all the people who've ever lived on planet Earth, it is quite possible that there has been someone born on Earth who was a better basketball player than Michael Jordan or LeBron James naturally was better but never got a basketball put in their hands, so we'll never know. Or had one put in their hands, but never got a, a chance to, to practice or to work at it, was told they have to go to work doing something else, or you know, got a trumpet put in their hands instead, you'll never know. So hard work and practice is, is essential because talent alone, is, it's, that's too haphazard, it's too random to, to bank on talent. You gotta work hard. And so leadership is the same thing. I would not sit around and, and wonder, am I, do I naturally have leadership abilities or not? Or, you know, or comparing yourself to someone, I think this person's a, natural, a naturally good speaker or naturally good whatever. Just you need to work at it. You need to practice at it no matter what we're talking about. So when it comes to leadership, the best way to develop leadership skills is actually to exercise leadership and lead. And I think there are very important ways as a young person that you can, you can do that. Yeah. One of those arenas is that
0: area of being on the team that you're in or the musical ensemble or the club, like in those spaces where you're, uh, where you're finding your, your talents and your interests taking you where you can do that. Mr. Mayor, I know your time is tight this morning. So I'm going to ask a question and then um, uh, ask Amari and Isaiah to look at a couple of the other questions they have and pick one that they'd like to, to finish up with. But I'm curious, given this theme of, um, together that we've been focusing on, uh, you know, my impressions and experiences as a leader in this last 14 months uh, have been, you know, how difficult it's been to unify the constituents with whom I work, or, you know, the pandemic has disconnected us and given us different opinions on how we should make yeah. uh, um, and take action here at school, the quest for social justice, and uh, what that entails is has uh, Created fissures within the community that I lead. So I'm wondering about your experience as a leader. Have you found that to be the case? And if so, you know, what strategies have you tried, uh, uh, with varying degrees of effectiveness? I'm sure to to unify uh, the constituents that you lead here in the city of Dallas.
2: First of all, I apologize for the background noise. I have a little. There's some work going on here. Uh, no all right. But um, let, let me say, first of all, I'm going through the exact same thing. Mm-hmm. Dave, it, it's it's certainly um, the case that during this pandemic we've we've seen probably exacerbated, not created, but exacerbated the already existing uh, differences within our society that you know, based on you know political divisions and socioeconomic divisions and otherwise, people got a lot of different opinions in this country. Certainly true uh, in the city of Dallas, where you know where I'm um, the mayor, so. Absolutely, we have people who feel very differently, in some ways diametrically opposed, on on every aspect of pandemic response. You know, masks or no masks. You know, uh, herd immunity possible, not possible. You know, just you, you you name it. There's you know there there's there's disagreement about everything. What have I tried to do? I've tried to acknowledge and realize that people are gonna are gonna differ about about things, but that it's harder for people to differ when they're operating from the same set of facts. It's not impossible, but it's harder when people are operating from different sets of facts. And I think what's happened in our country and why the divisions are continuing to, to, to grow is because we have sort of um, started to evolve away from the idea that there's a such thing as a, an objective fact and that you get to choose your facts. There's facts for everybody. Um, you know, w- we used to be able to agree that, you know, the sun rises in the east and it sets in the west. Now some people, have, you know, well, I got a different uh, opinion about that. Well, what's happening is there are new sources now that are evolving, um, that have evolved rather, to cater to both points of view. For people who wanna believe that the sun still rises in the east, we got a news channel for them. For people who wanna believe that maybe that's not true, that maybe it rises in the west and it's all a mirage of a channel for them. And so everybody just goes to the channel that tells them what they wanna hear. So that makes it easier for us to continue down these paths of division when we're all working from different facts. Mm. My Approach to the, the pandemic was is let me put out straight facts about where we are with respect to hospitalizations, ventilator availability, mm-hmm. etc., so people can make their own decisions about how dire the situation is and how important it is to do what I think um, is pretty clear in terms of you know the science on social distancing. Mm-hmm. If you're not out there, you know, you know, if you're not out there interacting with people, you're reducing your chance of getting a disease that's transmitted by people. Mm-hmm. If you wear a mask, that reduces the the transmission rate and those types of things. But I I understand that people have different views on how prevalent this is and et cetera. So I want just to give them our local data so they'd operate from the same facts. And I think that has helped. And I also think, and this is the last thing I'll say about this, I know there's a few more questions that you guys want to get to, is that I think uh, leadership has helped along in times like this and always. If people believe, based on how you carry yourself and your track record of being a straight shooter with people and being honest with people, they'll give you the benefit of the doubt when the chips are down. And they'll give you the benefit of the doubt when there's a threat. And because of how I've led as a legislator and how I've led as mayor, that people trust that I'm telling them the truth, that they know that I don't want to, I'm not going to play down the COVID numbers because I want to sell a particular political point of view and I'm not going to play them up. Because I want to scare them and play up a diff- another point of view. They think that what I'm telling them is straight. I'm giving them straight information. Amari, Isaiah, this is so critically important for you guys as you go forward in your in your young careers. The the greater your reputation is for being willing to tell it like it is, no matter how unpopular it may be, it will make life better and easier for you in the long run because what will happen is is you will upset people more if you tell the straight truth all the time than if you cater your message to your audience and tell the people who want to hear that the sun rises in the east, you tell them that and then when you're in the room with people who want to believe that it rises in the west, you tell them that. That will, in the short run, make your life more comfortable. But there's going to come a point where you need widespread buy-in to what you're saying, and, you need, and, you want, and you're gonna want people to believe that you're a person they can trust. And if you got two different groups of people, you've been telling two different things, at that moment is when it's all gonna come crashing down. And that's when you're gonna be exposed for being basically a, a politician or a person who is interested in being liked and being politically expedient, as opposed to being a person who can be trusted to shoot straight. I want my doctor, for example, to tell me how blocked my arteries actually are, not how blocked I want my arteries to be. <laughs> does, that, does that make sense? Yeah. Yes, sir. Like, I want to know, like, the, what, what the situation is. I don't want a doctor who's got a reputation for telling patients what they want to hear while they're dying slowly because of malpractice. I want a doctor who's like, Hey, man, you got to cut back on the on the hot Cheetos and you got to cut back on the, you know, the, the, the fried food because you got 75 percent blockage. That's who you want to be, even though you're going to have some people who are frustrated with you. You want to be the, the leader that people go. No, he's telling it like it is. He's going to he's going to shoot straight. That, that's a, that's an honest guy. So that that's my advice on that. Yeah, facts and transparency.
0: I'm hearing you say are are really key in times, times of crisis. So that's great. So Amari, uh, Isaiah, let's do a quick lightning round here. Amari, we'll go with you, and then Isaiah, the the final question. So Amari, pick pick one of the questions that you wanted to ask the mayor, and and uh, he can he can give a succinct response to keep his schedule tight.
1: Got you. Uh, a quick statement about what Mayor Johnson said about your uh, work ethic and skill. One of my friends that graduated last year, Caleb Culp, his dad um, is—it's kind of like a second dad to me, and uh, he always preaches technique beats talent any day. So, so it's—it's it's kind of confirming that even though he's saying it, someone else is saying it as well. So, it, it probably holds its weight. That's truth. You know what I mean? So, oh, it's,
2: yeah. I didn't mean me cut you off. But you know, it, you know, it's—it's it's absolutely critical to understand that because. What you're going to experience in life, if you, you know, if you, if you go through life and you, you, you know, you get a job or you continue to school, whatever you're doing, you're going to start to see that, you know, the thing that's most within your control, and that's what you're really trying to do is you're trying to control outcomes. You're trying to give yourself the best chance to succeed. The thing that's most within your control is how hard you work and how much work you put in you really don't have any control over how much natural talent you have. You don't have any control over how much natural talent your opponent has. And you certainly don't have any control over how much they actually capitalize on their natural talent and combine it with hard work. The the smartest strategy then is to control the thing that you can control, which is how much work you are going to put on top of your natural talent. That's it, That's that's the best formula. So whatever amount of talent you have, put in as much work as you humanly possibly can to develop your craft and then you gotta let the chips fall because if you run up against someone who's got more natural talent but is not not working very hard, you'll probably beat them. But if you run up against someone who's got more natural talent than you and they work harder than you, well that person's called LeBron James and you won't and you won't beat him. <laughs> you know, that's but that's okay. The, the league of the NBA is full of people who are still in the NBA but are not LeBron James and they're doing just fine. <laughs> they're doing fine financially and they had great lives, but they're not the best guy. But they have to work. You have to work really hard.
0: All right, Isaiah, bring us home here.
1: All right. So the last question was, um, so as a leader, what are the ways you try to maintain a balance in your life from being the mayor and, and just in
2: your life, just how you keep a balance, how you could keep it all together? I appreciate the question uh, nephew, because I think you've seen, uh, we got a lot going on uh, in our family, right? You know, my wife Nikki, is about to have a, a new baby, so we're gonna have three kids here soon. Congratulations! Yeah, and we got two kids already who are six and three, so we got our hands full with kids. And then, of course, my wife works. I work as a, a lawyer in addition to being the mayor. So uh, it it is a lot to balance. But what I try to do, and what I you know, what I think keeps me sane is you know my family. Spending time with them is my that's my Sanity, that's my mental break from it all. And, and, and knowing that, that I have them and they love me unconditionally is the thing that actually uh, allows me to withstand a lot of the hostility that is just a part of, and I had no idea it was such a part of, local politics. The legislature was not quite this um, challenging in terms of just how personal the politics seems to get at the local level and how the scrutiny and the day-to-day grind of it is very different. Um, people cling more onto every single word um, that the mayor says more than they did when I was a state rep. And therefore, there's just a lot more, uh, there's a lot more dealing with the media and dealing with other um, elected officials as the mayor than it was as a state rep. So it's a lot, it's a lot of pressure. And my family is what is my refuge. That's what I'm really looking for. So um, I love I love being with my family, and I'm a big sports guy, so I, you know, I love college football more so than even the pros. So I like watching college football, and uh, I play golf every now and then, not too often uh, since I've been mayor, but I do enjoy a, a nice relaxing round of golf and being with my kids and my wife. And your name, nephew. Mayor. Whenever I can see him. He's so – Paris has got my nephew so busy, I, I hardly ever see him anymore. So I guess that's – but your hair looks great, by the way. <laughs> Thank you.
1: Mayor Johnson, if I could yes, ask sir. you
2: a quick favor. I know you have
1: to get out of here. Mm-hmm. Uh, could you answer one more quick question? Yeah, go ahead. Um, it's a longer question, but I'll sh- yeah, shorten it. No, no, uh, no go ahead. Take, get, 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 it, get it out, go ahead. OK, uh, we know that your duties as mayor is um, to keep the uh, community together and
2: unified,
1: mm-hmm. especially during this time of corona and and all the uh, social injustice things. but. Um, What would you you identify as one or two um, issues that the the city of Dallas is facing and how do you uh, hope to um, strategically lead that and also address them um, on like the local level?
2: I do appreciate that question, Amari, and one of the things that I I wish we did a better job um, here in the United States, period, actually, it's, it's a problem everywhere but I'm gonna start with you two. Y'all y'all gonna be my personal um, first people I'm doing this with. We gotta do a, a, a much better job uh, of teaching civics than we do in our country. I don't mean just American history, I mean actual civics. People need to understand better how government works and how it affects their lives. You need to understand the difference between the federal government, the state government, the county government, and your city government and how they affect your life and you know, who, you're, who you're represented by at all those levels and why you need to know that. And so I'm gonna start today by telling you guys something that I want you to know that I can guarantee I a mean, of your classmates don't know. And, and crazily, your, their parents, your classmates' parents probably don't even understand this really. I, I'm, I'm surprised how many fully grown adults I, I meet who don't get this, but I'm the mayor of the city of Dallas. The city of Dallas is a, an incorporated city that has a, a boundary line and everything that's not within that boundary line, I have no jurisdiction over and has nothing to do with the city of Dallas. It, I can tell you that people who live in Mesquite are great people, but they don't pay taxes to the city of Dallas. They are not residents of the city of Dallas. I'm not their mayor. I'm not, they are not under my control in any way, shape, or form. They actually have their own mayor and their own city council and their own police department. That is true literally of every municipality, which is a fancy word for city, in our area that's not the city of Dallas. So believe it or not, the town of Addison is not the city of Dallas. The town of Highland Park is not the city of Dallas. Town of University Park, not the city of Dallas. Mesquite, DeSoto, Duncanville, Cedar Hill, Garland, Plano, Frisco, Allen, none of that's the city of Dallas. The city of Dallas is just the actual city limits of Dallas, city of. Why did I give you that long explanation? Because so often we talk about the DFW area or the metroplex and what are the challenges of the metroplex and that's very different than what I am charged with dealing with and what our challenges are. The city of Dallas is a 1.4 million person city, the ninth largest city in the United States of America. And it's got the challenges of a large city. Frisco is not a large city. Plano is not a large city. Mesquite, those areas are not like Dallas. There are are little brothers and little sisters in this area we call the DFW region And they're great communities, but they have very different. um, They're built very differently in terms of where they get their money from and what they're able to do with it. City of Dallas's biggest challenge: our city is public safety, crime. Right now, our violent crime in Dallas is the highest it's been since, if you can believe this, since I was in high school. Like our violent crime right now from this past year, our, our homicide numbers are the highest they've been since 1998, which is actually four years after I graduated from high school so when I graduated from college. Um, the four years between when I was a freshman in high school and a senior in high school, which is between 1990 and 1994, were the four most violent years in the history of the United States, actually. There were more homicides then than we've ever had anywhere in in the history of the country. But we are moving back in that direction in terms of violent crime. So as the mayor of Dallas, that's a big concern for me because what I don't want is for people who live in the city of Dallas, who have a Dallas, Texas address to say, Dallas is too dangerous. They don't have enough police officers. There's too much violent crime. I'm going to move to Frisco. I'm going to move to Plano. I'm going to move to Carrollton. I'm going to move to Farmers Branch. I'm going to move to Addison. Because once they're out of the city of Dallas, they're not our residents anymore. They don't contribute to our tax base anymore. Um, they, they don't, they're, 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 they're of course entitled to come into our city and use our parks if they want to and eat at our restaurants if they want to, but they're not actually contributing to our upkeep of our city and the infrastructure in our city. So my job as mayor is to kind of um, continue to take care of the city of Dallas and make sure it doesn't fall into disrepair. So that's the biggest issue is public safety. I'd say the second biggest issue is the infrastructure thing. I just referred to infrastructure being a big fancy word for streets, bridges, um, you know, sidewalks, uh, all those things that when you go outside of Dallas particularly when you go up North and you see a lot more newer um, smoother streets, less potholes and things like that. Those are things that make people want to live there. And we have to compete with that in Dallas. So, um, the infrastructure thing is big and the public safety thing is big. Those are two excellent uh, ones and a really good civics lesson for
0: all of us uh, with one part of parish, Episcopal being in Farmer's Branch, the campus that I'm at today being in the city of Dallas and the school you went to just across the street from our Farmer's Branch campus at, on, on Sigma Road being in yeah. Addison. So That's right. these, uh, these communities really do intersect, but the uh, mayor's got his hands full. Doing Dallas, so that's uh, the place to focus, Mister Mayor. This has been a lot of fun, and uh, Isaiah and Omari, fantastic job uh, helping Thank us you so, so much, Mayor. You. So thank
1: you for your time today. And y'all, so, do not so, forget. Bro. He said, "It doesn't matter what city you claim. If it, if you if you're not from Dallas, don't call the mayor. I <laughs>
2: call the mayor. You can call me because I'm not your mayor, but I'm happy that I'm happy to talk to you." I- <laughs> He's a nice uh, guy.
0: You can talk talk lots of different things with him, but just not potholes. If you
2: want me to be your mayor, though, you know what you got to do. You got to move into the city, and then I'll be your mayor.
0: We're all for that. We're all for that. It's been fun to be with you. Thanks so much for your time with the From My Angle podcast, Mayor. Hey, thank you. Thank you for listening to this edition of the From My Angle podcast. Please share it with friends and colleagues in your network. In our next episode, Amari and I will welcome parish artists and parish arts faculty members to get back to the conversation about the unifying force of the arts and creativity. We'll see you next time on the From My Angle podcast.